This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified Game. Game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today on Diversified Game, you won't meet another woman like this who looks like this, who's in this industry. She is in NASCAR. Yes, a woman in NASCAR. That is unique. Even more unique, she's an owner of a team, and she is a Black woman, African-American woman, whatever pleases you on the PC crew. But I have today Melissa Harville LeBron. You've seen her on Ebony. You've seen her on Black Enterprise. You've probably seen her on Sway in the Morning, and this is 50. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, we can see, and you've had so much press um, as a publicist. Congratulations to your publicist that you've been getting the word out there, even though, like in NASCAR, everyone... (laughs) tries to say, hey, we're still growing. We have, a, you know, we're, we're building our team. We're qualifying for races and, and that, but that you've gotten probably more press for being a woman, especially the first black woman to own a NASCAR. I mean, how does this feel? Just, you know, all, all of this. Um, I never imagined that it would grow into what it's grown into. Um, so just to be clear, I'm the first African-American woman to solely own an NASCAR team. Um, there have been other females of color who have been involved in the sport through their spouses or through a charity and a business of, um, partnership. But I am the first sole owner. I own my team 100%. No, no husbands, no partners. Um, my team was developed for my two sons, Eric and Aniko LeBron. That's where you get the E squared which is truly the name of the team, but we call it E2 just because it makes it easier. Um, But um, this journey has been incredible. I'm always completely amazed by how my music background brought me to this opportunity. And, you know, never in a million years could I have ever written this down and said, you know what, I'm going to be involved in NASCAR, a Southern male Caucasian sport and, you know, really making some inroads in the sport and, um, you know, really teaching my children firsthand about generational wealth and ownership, because this is how it truly all started. Um, So I'm thankful for God for blessing me and finding favor over our lives. to even put us on this path. And, you know, we'll get into your music career, but even more, I think, inspiring is that... doing music you are working as a correctional officer in new york and everyone knows that cannot be an easy thing anywhere (laughs) no so actually my career started in music um i was an intern at sony worked at at epic under um the vice president of promotion and publicity laverne perry um, and I did not like the politics of the music industry back in the 80s. So I decided that it was time for me. Well, I should say the 80s, early 90s. 
Um, and I decided that um, I needed some job stability since that, you know, since I wasn't willing to play the politic game in the industry. Um, and I went to New York City Department of Corrections and I met my husband about two years into the job. Um, had a, you know, got married, started my family. And before I knew it, I was 10 years in. Um, but I had never left the music industry ever. I have produced college tours. I have managed artists. I have executive produced projects. Um, so music has always been my first passion. I started out as a video girl, um, worked my way up to a production assistant with Dwayne Hayward Productions, worked on uh, Roxanne Shantae's video. Um, I've done a number of things within the industry um, myself as an artist, um, but that was never my love. That was never my passion. I always loved the back, playing the background and being the one that orchestrated and created the business opportunities and executed the business plan. Um, but that just was not my um, past when I was at um, Epic. And I decided to leave and, um, you know, get get what they call a real job with some benefits and stability. And then, um, you know, life just had its own path for me for a moment. And once I retired from New York City Department of Corrections as a supervisor, I went full-fledged back into the music industry once I felt better because I had gotten injured. And it took me about a year or so, two years to get back on my feet. Um, and then I just hit the road, you know, running. I had a, a very nice security blanket underneath me. And I just felt like, you know, once I had recovered from my illness somewhat, um, well, I should say I was stable. I felt like, you know, nothing could stop me. And I just went back to the music business wholeheartedly. And this opportunity presented itself and it just bridged an opportunity. And we've been running ever since. What a story. So you were even doing music yourself and, and collaborating. Now, where can we see? Now we have YouTube and all these things, Spotify. Where can okay. we go grab so your tracks? I am a dinosaur, okay? So my career, I started, I was about, let's see, 16. Um, I did, oh gosh, oh, request my music video. I've done a song called Love Patrol under Jay Ellis was the producer. He um he actually produced Gloria Gaynor. Um, loved into me. Um, oh my God. <laughs> you have really got me telling my age here. Um, well, I'm proud of it. I'll be fifty in a matter of about ten days. So um God has blessed me with that as well. But um, yeah, I've gone from being a video girl to, and video girls are not what they are today. We had our clothes <laughs> You see us dancing, you know, you see us dancing, but um, yeah, none, none of the, the craziness and nudity that goes on today. Um, but yeah, I remember Tracy was a superstar back then. You know, she was the video girl that everybody wanted in their video was Tracy. Um, but yeah, my God, it's been, that was the early 80s. That was like 85, 86, 87. Now I'm looking online. Some of y'all weren't even born yet. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I was, and I'm looking for Love Patrol and I'm not finding it. Is this on YouTube or Spotify for the people? No, what you'll find on YouTube is you'll find my video with B-Fat, Do the Wop. Okay. I'm actually dancing in that video. 
Oh my goodness, you got me, you got me telling, exposing my skeletons. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you out there listening, I am gonna try to get her music um, and have her put it out there because what a story, and it really shows, and that will inspire, and that's what this is about, is inspiring that 14 year old who's listening, who may not have all the money or any connections or no money, but saying, this is what I did and this is how you can do it too, by just hard work. There's no secret. Yeah, being passionate, right? Being passionate about it. And I would always tell them, protect your future self. I do a lot of public speaking. Um, and I, you know, going out to these schools, I was invited to join an amazing, um, support organization called Parents Against Bullying. And we go out and speak to young children, young girls specifically, about protecting their future self. You know, you don't know who you're going to become in five years, in a year, 10 years, 20 years. And you want to protect that opportunity, that you don't close those opportunities off because you're being impulsive now, or, you know, you want to do the cool thing you know, or you want to follow behind everybody else to really focus on protecting the future you. And so to go from, you know, I didn't want to play the game. And it's interesting, depending on where you're playing the game, you know, 80s, 90s, everything shifted, then 2000, everything's bling, bling. But when you even go to different places in the world, they call them video vixens. And it sounds even worse, <laughs> but it's not what we think because it is actually the girls who are the highlights in the video. They're the main girl. They're not even dancing. They're the one that the artist is talking to. That's the vixen. Mm -hmm. but, you know, how they're dressed is how they can be dressed. Some naked, some clothed, but it's just, you know, how things shift in language is. When you were in... Oh, definitely. When yeah. you were in, and, and this is uh, someone who's worked in mental health and psych wards asking, as well as entertainment like yourself, when you were mm -hmm. in the New York Correctional Facility, did you ever try to recruit any talent and say, hey, I hear you, you got something? Um, no. About, no, I didn't. Okay. Mm -mm. Well, I, I too, am, even in Department of Corrections, I worked in the mental observation unit. I ran the mental observation unit. My guys came from Bellevue and Mid-Hudson, psych. So, you know, I always kept the two separate. Even with artists, you know, there were some talented officers, um, but it just, I was there to do a job. I really didn't want people getting too involved in my personal life because there just has to be a certain line um, when you're dealing in, when you're within that environment. And not everybody's your friend. And to invite people into your personal space can, can be a little dangerous, um, depending on, you know, what that person's intentions are. So I always kept them separate. Um, not too many people knew what I was doing outside of New York City Department of Corrections. Okay. And I, and I asked that because there is such a, there's, you know, especially then and even now, the streets and the jail um, you know, kind of there, there's a connection to, you know, it, to, oh, that, yeah, to the, in, into mm -hmm. the music industry. People say, man, how do you do the music industry? I say, well, first get a goon squad. Um, cause you might need a little, protection. right. <laughs> um, yes. you, you know, make sure you get your money from those janky promoters. <laughs> <laughs> 
oh, up front now. If, if you can't cash, oh yeah, yeah, we can't cash app it. Nah, don't, don't, don't come through. PayPal wire, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Immediate. And, and you know, there's been correctional officers, and I've I've spoken to them not on this show but on other shows about you know they were doing straight up all wrong, had to go to prison themselves, and then you know they write a book. So I was just wondering if you were able to ever you know be pulled in because when you work in a jail, even if you volunteer in a jail, they're always asking for a favor, and you have to say no or you have to say yes to everybody. Um, I was consistent. I was yeah. very consistent. I've never been assaulted in my entire 20 years in the department, even running that specialized unit. Um, it was about consistency. My inmates, once I took my first post as a captain in, in the mental observation unit, that's where I stayed. And I had a rapport with my guys. They knew that if there was an issue that they could speak to me and I would, if they were entitled to it, they would get it. Same thing with my officers. If my officers were entitled to it, they would get it. If I said no, that is what I meant. There was no backstepping on it because, you know, I'm cool with you when we had dinner or, you know, we, you know, we went to the office Christmas party together. It was none of that. If I said no, that's, that's exactly what I meant. Um, one thing about me, I always tried to be an educator to my officers and also to my inmates and let them know why I'm saying no and what were some alternatives to what they asked me for. So my job was always, I would say it was a highlight for me because I enjoyed, you know, being a supervisor in Rikers Island. Um, I knew that I was on the front line and that my job, it was not about just, you know, being a disciplinarian. It was also about being an educator and being of assistance. Um, and my numbers, my stat numbers were very low for assault on staff. Um, any major, I've never had a major incident, never had a suicide, a, a suicide attempt, wow. um, never a, a major melee. Um, and I think that's because I was always a hands-on supervisor. And I took great pride in that, knowing that, you know, if my inmates had an issue, they would come to me before they resorted to it, a fight, because they knew if they had a fight or if somebody got hurt, I was going to tear that house apart and their life would no longer be what it was <laughs> before they, they made that decision. So I had a rapport of being fair and consistent and definitely had an open ear for someone that wanted to talk. Because sometimes those issues were very minute. It could be that it may needed toilet paper. He didn't feel good. He didn't get to go to sick call. You know, he needed to speak to the psych because he hadn't heard from his family. I mean, it, sometimes there were things that were an easy remedy to them and other things that had to be referred to. So I made it a point to always be accessible to my staff and to my inmates. And I think that's why my tenure there ran as smoothly as it did. And I can honestly say I've never been assaulted ever. What a, that's in, in a, a, you need an award for that. And that is so of the opposite. I've decorated. I've been highly decorated in the department. I have. Because if we, if you would base, you know, Rikers Island off Gary Hayward's book, you'd be like, hold on. It was all type of, you know, nonsense. And, you know, so oh, no, there was some craziness. Listen, you could find trouble anywhere you go. If, mm. if, you know, some people are magnet to it and some people avoid it like the plague. And yeah, there were things going on, but that was not what was going on in my unit. Like I was hands on and, you know, I tried to 
curb behaviors as much as I could. You know, if there was a female officer trying to come into my area that was not assigned to my area to go and try to visit an inmate, she knew right right away Captain LeBron was not here for that. Do it on somebody else's tour. Do not come through my area. Wow, wow. I, I love to hear it. And so then to, you know, still dabble in the music and and, and do, mm-hmm. do your job, it's almost like it's your release. I think probably one of the questions that I have not seen you be, you know, answered is how do you make that transition? And is it correctional money? Is it investment money? Is it music money? Because NASCAR, I, it was I have, it was both. both. NASCAR is expensive. It is. Um, my my dad was in investment banking. Uh, my dad still to this day he has Alzheimer's, the beginning stages, but he still is a day trader. Um, you know as much as he can. So my dad taught me from very young to take the money that I make and invest it back into myself again creating and protecting the future you. And Department of Corrections afforded me a very, very comfortable lifestyle. Um, I was a top earner in my my facility um, and I used my money wisely. You know, I would tell people, I said, you know, I had, you know, I have a very nice home. And when I first got it, I was driving, not, not to take anything away from a Honda Accord, but the car did not match the house. And they'd be like, well, why don't you buy a nicer car? I said, it's not what you drive, it's where you park it. Mm-hmm. Real talk. Real, real, real talk. But with that, and someone listening right now would say, wait, she did all this in New York. And we know that New York has gone, had its ups and downs and, you know, the economy. And right now it's up. But how did you do it? What did you invest in that someone else now could say, wait, maybe I need to follow her because my I got eyelashes like that. I got, you know, I got the <laughs> hair. I, I look like that. And at 50, still looking like, um, you know, 25, 30 years younger and nobody can tell my age. So what were the investments? Was it stocks? Um, so, so my stock portfolio consisted of pharmaceuticals and beverage companies and typical products that you would use every day in your home. Um, the pharmaceuticals are a huge business. They make a ton of money based off of us being sick. And doing some research, I saw that, you know, the beverages tend with the sugar, high sugar content tend to produce, of course, more diabetic people. And the pharmaceutical business thrives off of cancer and diabetes. And unfortunately, it is profitable. Um, I invest a lot in commercial real estate. Um, I like to get in on the ground floor with some neighborhoods that are transitioning. And um, they're goodbye. So there you have it. And that's something that many people can get involved in. So I, Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody can get involved in it. And you don't even need to have perfect credit. Um, you know, you just have to be able to have a down payment and be able to either pool your money together, which is a great resource. Um, it's just you need to know who you're doing business with um, and, and document it. You know, I tell everybody, I don't care what it is. I believe in black and white. Yeah, we can be friends, break bread, you know, break eh, bread. (laughs) You got to excuse me. This concussion (laughs) pops up every now and then because I just, I'm recuperating from a severe concussion. I fell and cracked my head. Um, But, you know, 
handle it as a it's a business transaction and a business transaction you need to you're an entity and they're an entity and you need to protect yourself and the only way to protect yourself is to have some boundaries in place in writing so there's nothing that i don't do business-wise that i do not follow that first rule and that is we must do paperwork period Yes, very important. And and this con- when you had told me even in the text about the concussion, I said I wonder if she got behind one of the cars and you know tried not just to be an owner but then a driver. Um, I, I, I would, drive. You, you do, I drive. do drive. See, I'm a I, I'm a little thick in the hips. I'm trying to get rid of this weight now because I would love to drive my son's their last amateur race and late models with them. So I'm trying to lose the weight now, but no, I have, it was a household accident. Like plenty of people lose their lives in household accidents. And I just slipped on some ice at the end of my driveway and fell and knocked myself out. And I've been experiencing some speech issues, which are getting better, some cognitive issues that are definitely getting better. Um, So we are making an improvement. Um, but you know, it, it was a struggle in the beginning. It was very hard for me to formulate a sentence and concentrate and be able to articulate myself because it just seemed like everything just was like, you know, out, you remember the alphabet serial where, you know, you might see a word, but chances are it's just a whole bunch of letters all bunched up together in milk. And that's what it felt like, you know, trying to formulate a sentence. It was extremely difficult. Um, so even now, I try to limit how much I do speak um, because after a while, it will produce a headache. And, you know, then, you know, I'm I'm off again. <laughs> so I try to limit how much activity I do do now because it can have, um, you know, an adverse effect, an adverse effect on me. Wow. And I would not have known, and I'm sure many people would not have known, but that goes into another, you know, step of business of if something does happen to me, then who can step in? And you're in a very, uh, right. you know, it, you're in a very relational business. So what steps right. have mm-hmm. you done to, you know, say, if not me, go to E-square or go to, you know, whomever? Well, it would always everything would always resort back to my two sons because the team was created for my two sons. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, you know, all the time I said, I'm going to build it where it is undeniable. And then you guys are going to take over because guess what? I would like to enjoy my retirement Mm -hmm. as of March. I will have been retired from New York city's department of corrections 10 years. Oh, wow. So there is definitely life after retirement, but I do not intend to work every single day. This is, And I feel like I have not accomplished much in NASCAR, though people tell me, you know, you've made history. And I say, you know, that's wonderful and I'm humbled by it, but I don't feel like I've done enough. When I can employ and create a job that somebody can go out and purchase a home for the first time, or I can, you know, give to an organization that can keep food on the table or keep children from going into foster care because they're able to stay in a in a conduct a conducive environment, then I feel like I've accomplished something. 
you know, when I can help somebody with their illness. And all these things are possible now, but not on the grand scale that I would like to be able to do them on. And I get angry with people that are in place to do this because they forget where they come from. They forget what the struggle was like. You know, they get into these, you know, titles and and these beautiful homes and islands and palatial mansions, you know, and drive these multi-million dollar cars. But what are you doing for your core? What are you doing for your fan base? You know, what are you doing for that fan that, that has been loyal to you, but you know what they can't pay? Pay a month of their tuition. Pay their tuition. Like, you, there's only but so much clothing and pocketbooks and shoes and chains and watches and cigars and you know nights out at the club that you could do when you could that one little effort could change somebody's life and it does not cost a lot it it doesn't cost a lot but it shows and i mean history has shown us before we were even here that someone can have so much and uh give and have nothing at all to be honest yes and 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 that's just man it seems because you don't have to come from a bad environment to see i live in seattle i live in seattle and where we have more boats they say per capita blah blah west coast you see all these boats i like to go boating i i have my license but then you see the homeless situation people on tents and freeways families and it's like and when you try to f- fight these things, you know, um, there are powers that be that like That's it. true. Yeah. And, and, and so we said, where do we, you know, I have to find my tribe, Melissa, wherever I'm at. And I have found mm-hmm. being out of the country that a lot of times I find work that I can do even here, but I can be out. Be, and, I can, and I'm safe to be out of the country and I feel safe but you can still do the work and you can meet your tribe and they'll say, yes, let's do that. And there's books like Give Work where she went all around the world to Africa and everywhere else to like to do like um, the gig economy where people can do simple tasks even on their computer, on their phones. And, you know, she died before 40, but she did so much work. And and that, mm-hmm. that book Give Work is just such a-, a- Oh, you got to send me, send me the title to it. I'll, I'll look, up, look it up. I would definitely, you know, I feel like when God blesses you with a platform, that platform should be used to encourage and inspire, honestly, to, to pay it forward, pay your opportunity forward to somebody less fortunate. You don't know how, and I'll tell you a, um, a situation that I experienced that changed my life around. You don't know how just that kind gesture will turn somebody's life around. So back in the 80s, you know, when I was doing the videos and stuff like that, I was cutting out from school. Like, you know, I was the worst high school student there was. (laughs) They had told me I could not re-register in school no more. Like, this was it. Like, I had hit pay dirt at that point. It was like, no more. Don't even ask. You either come to school and get your high school diploma this time or guess what? Go find a GED program. You know, and I was busy, you know, doing videos and partying, you know. And I wasn't thinking about school, you know, I was, I was helping my mom with my youngest sibling, but you know, on the weekends, it was my time. And um, my time turned into Monday, turned into Tuesday, turned into Wednesday before I knew it, I wasn't going to school. And it was a teacher that called and she changed my life. That was the pivoting moment for me because she was like, 
why are you not coming to school? You know, when you do decide to show up, you do exceptionally well in your testing, which is, you know, phenomenal. She said, but you don't come to school. And she was like, why? And I'm like, you know, I couldn't tell her, you know, I was home helping my mother take care of my sisters and brothers. And then, you know, after that, then I wanted to go party, mm-hmm. you know, and her taking time out of her schedule to call and find out why I wasn't going to school touched me in such a way that I was determined from that day on that I was going to go back and get my high school diploma. And I did. And I went to my guidance counselor and, you know, he said, he said, you know what? you're going to you're finally graduate. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I could not wait to go find this teacher. She was actually in the teacher's lounge and I, I got in and, um, I, you know, I approached her and she was eating. She didn't remember me, but it was okay. But I wanted her to know that what she had done for me, even though it was her job to do it, it made a difference in my life. I did summer school. I did summer night school. <laughs> I was determined to get my high school diploma and she was a little you know she was a little arrogant like I was bothering her you know eating her lunch but I wanted her to know you made a difference in my life and I never looked back what what a story I and I feel that story because I struggle and I think that the curriculum in schools now they have all these type of you know not alternative for bad but alternative where you can be more artsy more creative on your terms um but that's no, a bo- I was a- just lazy I was just lazy and didn't feel like getting up to go to school and if my mother needed me to do something for one of my siblings I was home to do it <laughs> but, 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 but that laziness but, but that laziness, if they maybe told you, hey, you can learn about the music industry in school, you might have jumped yeah. up and been the first one there. I might have. I might have. I yeah. might have. And, and, and I might have. Like, I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> but, well, well, you know yourself better than that. I'm trying to give you an out and, and say, uh-uh. that's why you got no, to. I, I was a bad high school student. I did not <laughs> want to get up early in the morning. I'm still not an AM person. I do not touch my office until about 10, 11 o'clock. Uh, uh, either I'm up very, very early or I try to sleep until at least nine. But um, it, it really depends on my day. So the best thing for me to do was to become a boss. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and and have a system, and but that's right. So, so you're talking about this story, and I'm just seeing a book. I also want you to talk about the uh, show potential that you guys are are discussing now. But is there a book on 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 your way with um, you know, your story, so you can inspire those? I have been approached. Um, of course, we'd be looking for a, a great partnership. I personally don't feel like I've done enough. Um, but yeah, it's a thought and it will it will happen at the right time when I have more than just this to write about, you know. Um, you know, and people tell me your backstory is amazing, you know, and that that would inspire somebody just knowing that, you know, you didn't come from, you know, a silver spoon and this and that. And I said, you know, I came from a, a, a I wouldn't say really, a, yeah, a working class family that did very well. I'll say that. Um, but I came from a broken home. My mother and my father divorced when I was very young. And, you know, it was the 80s. And I had a parent that got heavily involved in drugs, which put a lot of responsibility on me. 
um, you know, because we didn't want them to find out that my parent wasn't in the home, you know. Um, so I experienced a lot of the things that are typical within our culture. Um, even the mental illness, there was a mental illness component to it as well with, with my family member. Um, but my grandmother was the matriarch of the family, and my grandmother only had six days of education, but she believed in go out there and get it. And when she passed away, she owned 17 multifamily dwellings across the country with six days of education. So nobody can't say that you are incapable if you don't have an education. It's nice, but, you know, it does not define who you are. Wow. And and you definitely have enough for a book. No one said you have to stop at one. Um, so when people are asking <laughs> for that book, they're saying, don't deprive us of the jewels and the keys and, you know, book, YouTube, influencer, speaker, all that. I mean, that's that's in you. What can you talk a little about, you know, the, um, the TV show that is... Um, Oh, we! I'm so excited about that um, because they, people will get an opportunity to see my boys and all the craziness <laughs> that I live with with my boys. Um, and then me being a single parent, um, trying to raise an extended family. And then I have my dad that lives at home with me that has Alzheimer's. Um, one of my children, well, two of my children have, one has, I'll say, um, a more severe case of mental illness. Um, where our children will easily be diagnosed as attention deficit or something like that. They never stop past scratching that surface and wanting to apply that label to find out what the core problem is with this, with the children, our children. Um, sometimes it can be diet. Sometimes it can be a chemical imbalance. And sometimes it's just simply the onset of mental illness as a young child. Um, but, you know, you have to invest the time and it can be quite difficult. What's going on with NBC? I'm back. It could be quite difficult. Is the last thing? Yeah, it could be. It could be quite difficult um, maneuvering within the mental health um, treatment realm. Um, that, yeah, I would say that. Um, it's quite, quite, quite difficult um, because they are quick to want to attach a label but not tell you where it comes from, um, what can you do to stabilize this child because you're dealing with them approaching um, puberty, which that's a hormonal situation all its own. But um, typically, a, a child can be diagnosed with schizophrenia as early as as 13. That is typical textbook age for the onset of schizophrenia, which is quite young. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, but I've, they don't like to, 
they don't like to attach the label to it until they reach the age of 13. So they could be experiencing all type of conduct disorders, all types of issues, but they will not attach an actual um, diagnosis of schizophrenia until they are 13. And if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, we have uh, some healthcare businesses, but they are fully ran are we help support them as a firm, but my wife is a physician and there's some reasons for that, that, you know, there's politics and, 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 and different oh, yeah. legal reasons why they do that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but working in the field, I've also seen them, you know, I've seen five-year-olds get lithium. And as a supervisor, you say, why are we giving a five-year-old lithium? Because what they really need, I mean, they're abandoned pretty much, you know, they're an orphan. They don't have anybody. Right. And you sit them in a, a facility and they're supposed to sit here all day, like, and be normal. This and be still, right. Yeah. And be still and expect to be normal. And that is not the case. Yeah, in, in in the game of mental health, I mean, that there's definitely a game, and the, you know, there's some great people and whatnot. Like in everything, people were gonna say, "Wow, you guys went all over the board with this," but this is what happens when you have someone who is multifaceted and entrepreneur. This is entrepreneur thinking. We always ask our guests, um, you know, is there a community give back that you're doing or that you want to do? And I just think this is a great time to ask that for you. Is there anything that, you know, you want to provide in mental health that, you know, maybe mental health to NASCAR or to music or, or whatnot, anything um, that you're doing or want to do? Absolutely. Um, I want to start a follow, you know, a charity. Um, it's one, being able to get further assistance, get obtaining further knowledge about it, not just, you know, going off on a tangent, because sometimes you can hurt you know, a movement by not being fully prepared, fully knowledgeable about it. Um, so it requires more research, um, but definitely making mental health a priority within our within our culture and that it does not have the stigmatism that it used to have. Same thing with sexual assault. There's a lot of sexual assault that happen within our culture that go not spoken about. It's like it's swept underneath the rug. And then that child or that person will act out their entire life because they have experienced some type of trauma that's never been addressed. So right now I'm just, I'm looking at different options, but mental health will definitely be one of the components that I definitely will work on and speak about um, once I feel that I've, I've obtained enough knowledge to be able to communicate it to the masses. Okay. Cause I mean, you working in the jail system, you've, you've probably, I'm, I'm sure seeing people, you know, once they do get their medication or they get some type of structure, they change and it's like, okay. Oh, yeah, that, definitely. That, but I'm, I'm one that does not feel that medication is the key to everything. You know, I was, when I was um, starting my journey with one of my children, it was medication after medication after medication. And I felt like you changing the medication so quickly. How do we know if it's even going to work? How do we even know that it's working? You know, as soon as there's a behavior that is totally unacceptable to them without finding out where is this behavior coming from, it's, Hey, let's change the medication. And I'm just not an advocate for it. You know, I feel like let's get down to the core problem and work our way 
up from there. You know, at least we know what the baseline is, then we can work forward from there. Um, not just, you know, throwing medication on top of it to suppress action and the core issue is still there. So, like I said, for me, it is, you know, obtaining more knowledge and doing more research before I will speak publicly about it because I think it's something that we need to take that dark veil off of. And if our children could just get the right type of support, I think they would be a lot more productive and people would be able to understand them a lot more because you'd be surprised at how many people that, you know, how many inmates have experienced some type of trauma as a child and they've never had any type of assistance with it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. Uh, for, for children, you have to replace whatever negative with the positive and working mm-hmm. in, in the, that's the system, you know, we would take kids, I would take kids to BET, um, which was putting your job on the line. Cause if anything happened going from Massachusetts to New York, it's on you and mm-hmm. you fire, but never had a problem taking kids to hockey games, walking down the street in Springfield, Mass, and taking them to hockey games if they were, you know, the ones who are on good behavior on your off time. Not mm-hmm. to, you know, give all these, I, I, don't, I don't need the, the credit, but it was like we never had a problem because these, they were just kids. And you have to, mm-hmm. a lot of the programs have been cut. We know parenting seems to, at one point, decline. I know so many great parents. I'm like... Ah, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. Now with, you know, people, parents might be fighting, but with their children, I think more men want to be involved because so many men weren't involved and you don't want to pass that on. But, you know. Yes, you break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I even see, you know, the real goons and goblins like, hey, but I take care of my kids. And, you know. I, I mean, Right, so- exactly. <laughs> they have a warm side when it comes to their babies. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But it is. It's just so many contributing factors. Um, you know, I have a teenager that basically is giving me, trying to give me a run for my money. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I have to let them know there's, there's only one boss in this house and it is not true. Um, and working, you know, color within the lines, <laughs> put it that way. Because <laughs> it's not it's not the day and age we grew up in. You know, you got to color within the lines of society now. Um, but, you know, even with that, just trying to find some type of assistance and, um, you know, trying to get them on the, the straight and narrow path. And there's so many outside influences and it's like, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And I think your, your life ha- is, it's, it's a proven, I, I'm going to take the audience through a journey that they may not know the, the what um, the correctional facility music and NASCAR all have in common is drugs. There's a lot of money, uh, drug money in NASCAR yeah. Um, I, have mm-hmm. friend, I have friends who, you know, race and they say only if I would go, you know, become Randy Lanier or whatever, I, I could, you know, really make it in this next race. Um, can you talk about it? in corrections? You stayed on the straight and narrow music, straight and narrow, but you're always around the legal and the illegal. And then in NASCAR, can you see it um, as clear? Like, again, you meet these people. You no, find, okay. no. No, I mean, look at what NASCAR was based on. It was running moonshine. Yeah. 
you know. Um, no, that I would say, you know, whatever evils are there, they are well covered and dressed up nicely. They present very well. Um, so, no, I don't see that there. You, Of course, you've had drivers and pit crew members. I mean, you know, Brian France had an issue um, with his substance abuse. Um, so, no, it's, 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 um, it's dressed nicely. I'll say that. Um, the music industry, it's, if you're not involved in some type of, and it depends on what genre of music you're involved in, but, you know, typical in hip hop, if you're not like the, the, the dude on the corner, um, if you don't present like the guy on the corner, you know, nobody wants to listen to you because they feel like you're not relatable. Um, corrections, I mean, the, the jails are built because of negative behavior, so... But the under like I said, if you look at the trouble, you can find it in anything that you do. It doesn't matter what you're doing. But it speaks a lot to your character because it's not necessarily as the talent, but behind the scenes. Labels have been built on drug money. NASCAR teams built on drug money. Correctional officers, I had mentioned the Gary Hayward. Book, oh, yeah. You know, he, he talked about how he went from ashy to, you know, somewhat classy. And it was, you know... I didn't have much going for me and here, here I go. And even inside. So it shows if you can be disciplined in one thing, you can be disciplined in all things. And you've definitely shown that discipline. And, and so that's a True. book in itself, how to be disciplined. And you have, you know, <laughs> the corrections, the music in the middle, and then the NASCAR and have you in all those things. So in the studio, um, in your uniform, and in your car or by your cars, that that's a book in itself. So you have the books because you have the covers because you've lived the life. For me, my motivation was always my children are watching. I didn't give two hoots about anybody else. It was about my children and showing them the right way to do things. Now, what they do once they get grown is on them. But as far as my role as a mother, my role as a mother is to teach them and to nurture them and to prepare them for life outside of my home. And that has always been my focus, always, no matter what, you know, I was, like I said, I was a top earner in my facility and I would make it a point to come home, even if it was just to cook dinner, because I lived almost two hours from my jail, even if it was just to come home take a shower and cook dinner. I came home and did what I needed to do, made sure that there was my presence was around my children. And when they got out of line, they got to see another side to their mother. Because um, before I let them correct my children, I'm going to correct my children because it's my responsibility. And I'm very proud of the way my children have grown up very proud of them you know of course they had little hiccups because you know they get influenced by their little friends but they knew their mama was cuckoo crazy and she was not playing with them <laughs> and, and will the tv show be more of following you around how scripted is it and when will we be able to see it i don't believe in scripted i mean of course you're gonna have a summarized day you know, but what happens will be a true bird's eye of what, you know, it'll be the highs, the lows, the almost is, the, the, the achievements, you know, what my life looks like trying to break into this sport and be successful in this sport, maintain my morals and scruples when, 
you know, trying to create opportunities within this sport um, and just showing, you know, how to structure a business. And, you know, I didn't go to the Wharton School of Business. I wish I had. Um, but even still, you know, some of the most successful people in this world do not have a college education. They had a vision. They created a plan. They executed. And more than most, most likely than anything else, they believed in God. They had faith that they were on the right path and they weren't going to give up. They had determination and, and they stuck to it until it came to fruition. And that's exactly where I am. I get beat up a lot. You know, people are like, what took you so long? 2019 was extremely challenging for us. Um, one, because we were, we were scheduled to do a show with a different production company and they wanted us to have everything on reserve for them. You know, they, they wanted to film the first race. They wanted to do this. They wanted to do that. And we sat there, we waited for them and they had some internal issues. And then my father fell and broke his hip. And if anybody knows a parent breaking a hip after a certain age, like it can be a life and death situation and there's no medical reason for it. You know, my dad healed perfectly after his surgery, but I saw such a sharp decline in my dad. It's like, it was hard for me to leave him for even a couple of hours to even try to conduct business because my dad took such a turn for the worse while he was recuperating and then trying to, um, really protect my assets and, you know, navigate through what I was going through legally with this production company that I had signed up to. Um, that was one of the one times I wish that I did not have a bona fide contract um, <laughs> because it helped me up and I lost an entire season behind it. By the time I got out of that situation, we were looking at July, which meant that I would, I would again have to, finance the race myself, which I could have, um, thinking back, at, you know, looking back at it in hindsight, I probably should have, but I felt like it was the end of the season and we do much better by hitting the ground running the beginning of 2020. Um, it may, made me a much better businesswoman, a more astute owner. Um, I have much better relationships than I had before. Um, and it gave NASCAR and their fan base a chance to see that I'm here for the long haul. I could be, I could be the the last kid on the block, you know, the bottom of the totem pole, but I'm not going to give up. Now, when you go into these different things, like going into NASCAR and then going into TV, I just came back um, a couple weeks ago from NAPI, which is the National Association of Television Program Executives. You know the. Mm -hmm briefly talk with Byron Allen, talk with so many great people. Oh my God, Byron's amazing, yeah. Yeah, do, uh -huh. do, do you then say, okay, we're going to go in this, I'm going to become a student and try to master this, or do you say, let me go grab a consultant in this area, like in NASCAR or TV, and or a mentor, and say, okay, I got my mentor, got my coach, whatever you want to call it. What is your, you know, formula for jumping into So for me, it's always research. For me, I always want to not necessarily not rely on my support staff. Um, of course, I have mentors that have been in the business 40 years, 60 years, um, people that have better relationships 
with the vendors than I do. You know, I am the new kid on the block. Um, NASCAR is a very lucrative business and it is a generational sport. And there are a lot of relationships that have been forged over decades. Um, unfortunately, within NASCAR, you have to go to your competitors to get your equipment, which makes no sense to me, but I didn't write the rule book. Um, so of course, I need to have the support staff, but I don't just rely on them. Um, I'm not going to be the handicapped person at the table when I'm sitting at the head of the table. I need to know just as much or have a good understanding of what it is that I'm involved in, how to execute it properly. Okay. I'm not allowed the opportunity to make the same mistakes as somebody else who's one of my other counterparts. Got you. And it's, and it's expensive for every mistake. And, and that's something it's that... very expensive. And, and that's why I asked that question because I want to, we, we, we talk all the time, people say, what do you do? And you say consulting and, you know, they want to know more, but then there's, and I'm sure you get this in your business, especially in, in music, people kind of might want to know what the price is for you. And they'll say, oh, that's expensive. Well, it's not expensive to those who can afford it. Um, it's expensive to you because you're not the type of client that we want because we don't want to take your last two pennies. We want someone who says, oh, we have to hire somebody and you're the one we chose because for a various reasons, you know, whether they, they trust mm -hmm. you, they like your vibe, they like, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you travel internationally and, and can push them in other markets. So it's, it's one of those things. So I just, yeah, it, get a consultant, um, to not have those hiccups because a lot of times now people say, Oh, I want to get a mentor, but even mentorship no. costs. Cause that, you know, yeah. Well, I had a mentor that um, put me into a situation with my first race. Mm -hmm. um, I was not privy to their conversation. I literally got a phone call that said, Melissa, we can run, you know, the Daytona race seamlessly, you know, we'll run it under your number, which, that's what we had on paper that's you know and things got turned around literally last minute when money was spent and momentum was forward and there was no time to, to be like hold on time out because one my money was already spent so and it, it kind of almost set me up for failure um but again that's where black and white comes into play so when somebody tries to play out a scenario in the media and you're like, hold on a second, you must forget that I have receipts. And then it kind of quiets things down. Um, you, as a woman, you don't want to come across as you're the crybaby, you know, or you're stirring the pot or you're the angry black woman. So sometimes you got to take it on the chin, you know, for your business and to keep your reputation intact. Um, but Again, like I said, that's when that black and white is so important because had I not had black and white and proof of what my relationship and my intentions were and what was presented to me and how my deal fell short of that, I probably would have been injured irreparably. And, and, and people listening will say, wow, okay, 
she started it, I can do it. And they'll go try to do like a Google search and it will say, well, to start a NASCAR team, you need $20 million and you need three cars. So you need $60 million no. budget and all these things. Can you kind of demystify what you really need besides hard work, dedication, but what do you need? Where do you start? Relationship, woman. Relationships will save you a ton of money. I will mm -hmm. say that. Um, that's where your mentors and your consultants come in. Um, have I spent a lot of money? I've spent more money than I actually knew I had. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say relationships with any business, a relationship can save you a great deal of money. Um, NASCAR is not the type of business industry that you can barter services, um, typically. Um, though I did hear of a very unique situation that occurred um, last year, um, but um, not, you know, it's a cash carry business, period. You know, everybody, everybody, I don't care how big they are, everybody's trying to keep the lights on. Um, so that tends to motivate people to do certain things that are not ethical, I will say that. And being knowledgeable and doing your research and knowing what is expected of you what is required of you, what is um, typical industry-wise will save you a lot of heartache. So with me, I am challenged more so than probably any owner because they expect me not to know. They expect me not to be vested in my craft. And I make it a point to learn as much about the industry as I can because I will get all kinds of trick questions. I will encounter people that are you know i'll just be very frank just snakes in the grass and you mm -hmm. need to know how to maneuver over them without getting bit wow um but it um the sport itself is amazing amazing it's exhilarating i mean it has a physical component to it um that not many if you have never been to a race you will not understand unless you've been there um, but it is, it's typical of any business. You have good people and you have bad people. You have people that are there to make money and take advantage of the weaker. And you have people that are there because they want to see you in the sport and extend a hand and, and pray that, that when they extend that hand to you, you'll pay it forward to somebody else. You'll respect the opportunity and pay it forward to somebody else. And but it, it definitely comes with patience in the process you have to be patient while you're going through the process it is not an overnight success there is no such thing as an overnight success i don't care what anybody says when you look at anybody that is successful it took them time it took them time it was through trial and error <laughs> they walked through some brimstone like they have been through the fires and and learned from their mistakes and learned not to make them again or put some things in place um, to protect them and, and their their future self, I'll say that. Um, but it's it's hard work. It's very, very hard work. And that's why I feel like I'm not ready to write the book yet, just yet. Okay. That I mean, we, and we'll, we'll push you a, a later date to say, we want the book, <laughs> you know, have, have the internet. <laughs> with, 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 with going through all that and, do you think that being in NASCAR that 
they have been friendly to you? Um, have you got open arms from, you know, fellow teams and, and wanted to help? Oh, no. Absolutely not. No, no. And I don't expect to. I'm not there. I'm not there. Um, I'm not there to create problems. I'm there to add value to it and bring mm -hmm. usher in a new demographic that has never truly been represented in NASCAR to be a true face for diversity and inclusion in the sport. Um, so as far as having open arms and hugs and kumbaya, no, I did not experience that. Have people gone out their way to be mean spirited to me? No, I have not experienced that either. Um, it's, kind of a let's wait and see what she does you know um long as she doesn't get in my way or interfere with my money i don't have a problem or whatever um but i'm not there for that i'm there to become to be a successful team and be competitive and to build a brand that is undeniable and to leave a legacy a true legacy for my children for others that want to be involved in the sport to have a means a path to come into the sport and know that this bar was raised to this point. Now it's your responsibility coming into the sport to raise us higher and take it beyond what was, what was built in the foundation. I, I, I think I, the part that I really loved when I was researching on you, you were, um, it was talking about how you were trying to take a driver at one point and they were trying to do music. I think she had a good voice. Can we please mm -hmm. see an E squared album that, you know, that you're bringing drivers into the studio? I love the double dip concept just because it's part oh. of it. <laughs> I, I love That's it. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. I may have to revisit that. That is a great idea. Yes, she did have a phenomenal voice. Um, so yeah, that could be on the horizon. It could. And even if you bring back your music career, start dancing again, and you know, <laughs> start driving in the car, and 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 I'm gonna tell you, and you're gonna think the most I can promise you is that I will be driving. Um, I don't know about the dancing part. You no, know, no. I'm going to tell you why. So I'm going to tell you why this would work right now, and this is the perfect time. If we had the video, you're in the car. You know, you, you it's going cutting scenes, all that. You're in the studio, but I think it was in 2000. NASCAR went to South Africa, and now Afro pop is popping. And then to mix it with that oh, yeah. flair. And there's African artists all through America, and it will be a natural fit. Like, you know, maybe they don't say, oh, we want you here. But in South Africa, they say, you got to come, and this artist is going to come, you know, support and push. Not that that helps you win races, because you still got to be able to drive. But I'm thinking of the total overall brand. There's been plenty of brands in life that they weren't the best product, but they had the best marketing. I'm not going to say Coke or Pepsi. Oh. But, you know, you, you can pick. Starbucks isn't the best coffee in the world, but people go to Starbucks all day. So I, I can see it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, you and I will have a conversation afterwards. <laughs> no, we, we, we definitely will because what she doesn't know, she's going to be talked about today. And I'm going to say, hey, tell this artist, yeah, she can d do the steps, whatnot. So we're going to have, yeah, we'll definitely... <laughs> We're definitely going to have a conversation. Yeah, I, I am. I, I admit that. So you you guys have gotten the game from Melissa. 
I'm just happy that she came. She did this interview. I hope to get her on some client shows as well so she can keep inspiring. So we see her on the talk series and she's next to Les Brown and, you know, she's opening for him or he's opening for her, whichever Oh way. my God, I was supposed to take one of his classes. Yeah. I'm telling this is what I do. So I, you know, it's a, it's a God given <laughs> gift, but I thank you for coming on and I thank everyone for listening and like, share, subscribe, keep popping the podcast and the YouTube. Thank you, Miss Melissa. Thank you so much for being patient with me. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and AL. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.